please turn with me in our Bibles this morning uh, to Paul's letter to the Colossians. We have been working our way through uh, Colossians uh, together, and this morning we're turning to Colossians chapter 4, and we're looking at verses 2 through 4, and you'll find this on page 985. Colossians chapter 2, at, uh, sorry, Colossians chapter 4 at verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. What comes to mind when you hear the word dedication? Uh, probably you're thinking of uh, perseverance. You're thinking of endurance. You're thinking of someone that is committed to some goal and is committed to that goal in spite of all the obstacles that they meet in their path. It's the kind of thing that makes up many movies. Uh, we can think of lots of movies where the theme centers around this idea of perseverance this idea of dedication, that no matter what they face, they overcome those barriers and they persevere in the end. When we think about the Christian life, perseverance, endurance, holding fast, uh, are all terms that you could use to describe the Christian life. A Christian is someone who holds fast to their faith in Jesus in the midst of all the changes and challenges of life's experience. They hold on to the hope of eternal life through Jesus in the midst of contentions, confrontations, uh, the ups and downs of life. But this morning we want to think about that more narrowly, that the Christian life as it's expressed in prayer is meant to express dedication, perseverance, and endurance. And you see that there in verse 2, where Paul says, continue steadfastly in prayer. And this morning we want to think about, uh, because our life depends on God's grace, the believer uh, and all of us are to assume a continuous posture of dependence upon the Lord. We've been looking at how the gospel changes all of our life. That when we truly come to understand what Christianity is about, it is all-encompassing. It's not just something you tack on to your life and carry on as before. Rather, the message of Jesus influences and shapes every area, that, that it reaches out and affects every aspect of our life. And we've been looking at that, especially in chapter 3. You remember how Paul said that relationally, the way that we relate to other people is going to be changed. That no longer are we going to be uh, characterized by our former way of life with malice and anger and these types of characteristics, but rather we're to put on a likeness to Jesus. That we are to bear with one another. We are to forgive one another. We are to, above all things, put on love. That we are to be people that reflect and mirror Christ in the way that we relate to one another. And so the church 
is to show something of the work of God's grace and the way that they relate one to another. The church is to be a community that does look different in the way that they treat one another because they are anchored by their understanding of God and God's dealing with them in Jesus Christ. But Paul has also said that not only will it affect their relationships one with another, and particularly in the church, but it'll affect their day-to-day living. And you remember we looked at what was known as the household code. There at the end of chapter 3, he began to talk about these relationships, these fears that make up our day-to-day living. He talked about the, the, the relationship between husbands and wives. And he was highlighting that both husbands and wives are to live under the lordship of Christ. That rather than simply focusing on themselves and their own felt needs, that they are both to give honor to Christ by showing something of the glory of Christ in the way that their marriage is about something bigger than themselves individually. He talked about how parents, how fathers and children were to relate. Again, it's about something bigger than themselves. That fathers are to not provoke their children and children are to obey their parents. That there's an order to the way that human flourishing works. As they live under Christ, it is ultimately for uh, the betterment and for the upbuilding of all. And then he talked about uh, even the relationship between servants and their masters. And what Paul was doing there was he was showing that the way that they treat one another is according to their understanding of who they are in Christ. That they are treating others not as commodities. They're not treating one another as trying to outwit them for their own advantage but rather they are to be treating one another in a way that honors God above all else. That transforms the relationship as well. So Paul has been talking about how what you believe affects the way that you live, which is, should give us all pause because we have to be able to give an account for why we believe what we believe and why we do what we do. What we believe naturally descends down into the practical matters. But if you are doing certain things in your life, you have to be able to say why I believe these things to be true. And Paul here is saying these things are an outflow from our understanding of God's grace in Jesus. This morning, though, we're looking at another section. In fact, verses 2 through 6 we could uh, put together. Uh, And it's really talking about the Christian's relationship with the world. In verses 2 through 4, he's talking about prayer. And then in verses 5 and 6, he is talking about the Christian's witness in the world. But we could uh, put that another way. In verses 2 through 4, he is talking about how believers are to talk to God about the world. And in verses 5 and 6, he is talking about how Christians are to talk to the world about God. And so both of these uh, sections are talking about the believer living in the world as they relate uh, the living God uh, in their experience. And so we want to look at verses 2 through 4 this morning, looking at the whole topic of prayer. You remember we began our series on Colossians uh, by looking at prayer as well. Paul began his letter uh, by telling the Christians how he, he never ceased to rejoice with them that he remembered them constantly in prayer. Uh, And he was praying explicitly for them, that they would know how to walk in a manner that was worthy of the Lord. 
Paul prayed for the church. But now as we come to the end of the letter, you notice that Paul returns to that topic. But more than that, Paul is going to be asking them to be likewise praying for him. And as he is doing that, he is again showing them how important prayer is for the life of the church. So we want to look at these verses and we want to think about them in two thoughts. We want to think about the characteristics of prayer and then secondly, the content of what he wants them to pray for. First, there is the characteristics. In verse 2, he says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. As mentioned in prayer, prayer simply means a way of talking to God. That in prayer, we are expressing to God the things that are upon our mind and heart. We are unburdening ourselves. We are expressing our delight in God. We're confessing our sins. We are giving thanks to God in adoration. We are asking God to intervene into situations, but we are bringing our life and we're bringing our concerns before God in prayer. And here, Paul is stressing the need to hold fast to prayer, endure in prayer, persevere in prayer. Why does Paul have to tell the church to persevere in prayer? It's because of what prayer is. It's because prayer is the very heartbeat of faith. It's because prayer is a reflection of a life of dependence. That Paul is wanting the church to remember that they are in a constant posture of dependence upon God. And prayer expresses that in a self-conscious way. That Paul is uh, uh, helping them to be reminded of that course of action. Prayer is hard, but it's hard especially because it forces us to acknowledge that we don't have it all together, that we need to look beyond ourselves for help. Uh, it's easy to attend a religious service. It doesn't require very much to be a passive observer, to just sit and listen. Uh, many people can just attend. Prayer, though, is different. Prayer is engagement. Prayer is participation. Prayer is acknowledgement that I am needy and that I do need help outside of myself. And if, if you're sitting here this morning as someone that doesn't pray, then just ask yourself, why not? Is it because you have become so accustomed to your way of life that you feel like you have it together, that things are going comfortably well, that you don't see any need? Or would it be because you would not conclude that God is a God that you can look to for help? But there would be a reason why we don't want to pray. And that's what Paul is getting at here. The church should be constant in prayer. But they will be constant in prayer when they recognize they're always needy. That they are always in a posture of dependence. And so they're always looking to God for help. But for the believer, it makes complete sense to pray. Because they have learned that they are dependent on God. They have been dependent on God, but they've also come to see that God helps them. That's what Paul has been accenting throughout this letter, isn't it? He talked about how they were dead in their sins, but God has made them alive in Christ. 
They, they were saved from their evil deeds that they were committing, that God has changed their course of life. That was an act of God's grace. He provided for them a savior, but he also provided for them a new will that now they wanted, they were inclined to look to God. They were now listening to God. They were now trusting in God. And so Paul here is exhorting these people who have come to believe that Jesus is the redeemer, the savior who brings redemption and the forgiveness of sins. He's saying, you came to be saved from your sins. You were in a needy position, but you've come to discover that God provided for you. But Paul's saying the Christian, the whole Christian life recognizes I'm, de- I'm needy. I'm depending on God for all my needs. And so this is a characteristic uh, 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 of the Christian life, one of dependence upon the Lord. And you see that throughout the New Testament, don't you? You see that every great decision that the apostles made was preceded by prayer. The, the Christians didn't act as though they had it all together, that they could take it from here. But rather they, they turned to God in prayer, recognizing we need God's wisdom. We need God's blessing. We need God's protection. We need God's help. You see that that mentioned throughout even the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 1, it says that they devoted themselves to prayer. It says in Acts chapter 2 that the early church was characterized by what? Dedicating themselves to the teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. It tells us in Acts chapter 6 that the apostles were going to dedicate themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. You remember in Romans chapter 12, Paul tells the church that they are, to, uh, they are to rejoice, they are to be patient in their tribulation, and they're to be constant in their prayer. Again and again, this idea of prayer is stressed because the life of faith is a life of dependence on the triune God. The God who gave me life is the God who sustains my life. The God who saved me from sin is the God who now supplies me with his grace day by day. And so here, Paul is stressing uh, that aspect of the Christian life, a life that is shaped by dependence. But he also says this because uh, prayer is something that can be neglected. Uh, It can be something that we become disheartened with. When you pray, and nothing changes. When you pray, and things get harder. When you pray, and things get darker. We will be tempted to give up praying. That's why Jesus gave his parable. He even says, I'm giving you this parable so that you would not lose heart. You wouldn't become discouraged with the whole practice of praying. Because it's very easy to pray when we see things changing around us. But the life of faith is a life that is lived by faith and not by sight. That we trust God even when it doesn't seem to be working. That we trust God when it doesn't seem like things are changing. We are still to pray. That is building within us a confidence in God and his wisdom beyond what we can see 
beyond what we can even control. And so here, Paul is stressing, knowing that there is going to be a tendency when there is opposition, when the Christians are living in their world and they faced, are faced with confrontations, when they feel the consequences of their faith, they may become those who are weary of praying, people that don't, aren't inclined to pray. And Paul is stressing, keep praying. To be constant in this practice because it is the very heartbeat of the life of faith. We're learning to live by faith and not simply by sight. You young people, do your parents ever tell you uh, to go brush your teeth? Maybe they ask you, did you go brush your teeth? Uh, your parents want you to brush your teeth and they don't want you to brush your teeth just whenever you feel like it. They know that brushing your teeth is important and so it has to be something regular. It has to be part of your rhythm. There has to be a way in which you build it into your day that I'm going to make sure that I'm brushing my teeth at, at regular times if I'm going to protect my teeth from cavities and the like. In the same way, prayer is something that we're to hold on to. It's something that is to be part of our regular rhythm. It's to become a habit that is so natural to us that we just recognize this is, this is how I live. That, that no matter what, I know I should brush my teeth before I go to bed. No matter what, I know I have to be praying to God, acknowledging him in all things because I belong to him, because he is a God who is gracious and provides for us. So Paul stresses first and foremost that they are to hold fast uh, in prayer. They are to endure in that practice of looking to God in all situations. But the second thing that he mentions by way of characteristic is, is that they are to be watchful in it as well. He tells them uh, to pay attention, in other words. Maybe you take the bus around town. Uh, if you ever take the bus, once you're on the bus, you can, you can uh, zoom, zoom out. You can just pick up your book and you can read. Uh, but if you're a pedestrian, you're going to move around the city with a lot more alertness. You're going to pay attention uh, to make sure that you, when you cross the road, that you're watching out for traffic. You're going to watch out for other pedestrians so that you don't bump into them. You're going to watch out for the cracks in the sidewalk because you don't want to trip uh, and, and scuff your knee or anything. You pay attention to your surroundings because you're, you're not immune to your environment. And so Paul here is laboring to emphasize the same thing. As Christians living in the world, we have to be alert. We have to be aware of our surroundings because we can be those who are unprepared to meet them. It's interesting that Paul's using here the same language that Jesus uses in the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember that when Jesus, before he goes to the cross, he goes to the garden and he prays uh, for the cup, if possible, to be removed from him. But then he comes back saying, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. When he goes back to the disciples, he says, could you not watch with me and pray for one hour? Then Jesus says that they are to watch and pray because the spirit indeed is willing but the flesh is weak. Jesus was highlighting that they weren't prepared for what they were about to face. 
But like Peter, we can assume that we are more ready, that we are immune to danger, that we're not vulnerable to temptation. And Jesus is stressing there is a need to be alert, that we are aware of the tendency to to be unfaithful to the Lord, to be untrue to the Lord, and to avoid confrontation or to avoid clashing in any way with the the beliefs or with the teachings of our world. And so here, uh, just as in the garden, Jesus is teaching the need for prayer, uh, which is matched with alertness. There is a danger then when we uh, uh, think that we are immune to all the enticements and the sins of this world. Scripture warns us, let anyone who thinks that they stand take heed lest they fall. So there is a need for devotion to prayer. There's a need for alertness in prayer, but there's also a need for thanksgiving. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. It's easy when we pray to think about all the things we want God to do, but the flavor of our prayers should always have thanksgiving in them. That when we pray, there should be something in it that expresses delight in God. Not just what I want him to do, but a delight in who he is. And so here Paul is stressing that thanksgiving should be woven into our prayers, reminding even ourselves as to why we can have confidence in God. God is good. His purposes are good. And I can trust him even with what I am bringing before him in prayer. So, uh, Christians, those who have an inheritance, those who have an inheritance awaiting them uh, are to be uh, praying to God, knowing that their God is a God uh, who is worthy of their trust. But then secondly, we see the contents of this prayer in verses three through four. Uh, And really, Paul is uh, praying, uh, teaching the church uh, to to focus on the, the scope of their prayers. Uh, He says there in verse 3, At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word. As important as it is for us to pray for our own needs, Paul is teaching the church here not to have a tunnel vision where they can only focus on themselves. Paul is teaching the church in Colossae that they need to widen their perspective and to think beyond even their own immediate needs, to think about God's purposes and God's glory in the world. And so here is Paul, Paul who is an expert in the scriptures. Paul who is no doubt a believer much longer than many of these people. And yet Paul is not so self-sufficient as to say, I don't need your prayers. Paul is teaching the church that he himself needs prayer. That he needs prayer Uh, just as they need prayer, just as he prayed for them. He wants them to be praying for him. When Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, uh, he wrote in a very similar vein. He said, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. When Paul wrote to the Ephesians, he told them to keep alert, not just for themselves, but to keep alert for the whole church. 
to be praying about the needs that he sees around them. Now, we might think to ourselves, I don't even know what other people are going through. And you don't always need to know what other people are going through. Because you can pray for others the same things that you're praying for yourself. That you can be praying that just as you are kept from temptation, you can be praying the same for others. Just as it is God's will for your sanctification, you can be praying for the sanctification of others. That's what Epaphras does later on in verse 12. You notice it says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature, fully assured in the will of God. Epaphras doesn't need to know every person's individual situation. He knows what he needs to know. He knows that they need God's protection and that God's purpose of sanctifying and conforming them to the image of Christ can be something that he is always praying for. You think even of our church directory. You have, you have all the names of the church. You look at the names, you don't know everyone's life situation. You don't need to. But you can make it a regular practice each day, looking through the directory and saying, I'm going to pray for that person. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would keep this person, that you would show them more of your grace that they would come to contemplate your glory in a greater way, that they would desire you more than the sins of this world, that you would keep them from the evil one, that they would be able to stand in maturity, that they would know what is God's will for them and the choices that they make this day, that they would be an ambassador that is faithful and true. You can pray for one another, even though you don't know what they're going through. That's what Paul is teaching the church here. That's what he's telling them to pray even for himself. But he goes on and he says not only to pray for them generally, but he says there in verse 3, pray also for us, and then more narrowly, that God would open a door to us for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. If you ever go out to your car, you might uh, go to open the door and it's locked. Maybe you go to your closet and the, the doorknob is locked. When it's locked, you can't open it. You need a key. A locked door can be a frustrating thing. But when you have the key, you unlock it and you're able to get access into it. Scripture depicts our human heart like a locked fortress. That it does not receive the messages that would seek to get in. They're not received uh, uh, by the host, by the fortress itself. But scripture teaches us that God is a God of grace who overcomes those barriers that sin poses. That God not only opens up opportunities for the word of God to be proclaimed, but that God opens the door in the sense of making it successful. That's what Paul is getting at here. Paul is not just saying, pray that we would have an opportunity to talk about Jesus. Paul recognizes there's a need greater than to have his foot in the door with someone. As important as that is, he's also recognizing that the human heart won't receive it apart from the work of the Spirit. That there has to be a renewed will that would take that message and embrace it. And so Paul has enough humility to realize that he's not going to be able to argue someone into heaven. But he does have enough confidence in his God 
that even though he is speaking to another person, he believes that God is sovereignly at work and that hearts will be changed. And so Paul here is telling them, pray that an open door might happen, that there might be uh, a successful work where the gospel might penetrate. That's how the image of a door is used elsewhere in scripture. You turn, for instance, to Acts, and it says, and when they arrived and they, they gathered the church together, they declared that God had done what God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. God opened a door of faith. Later on in 1 Corinthians, it says, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective work has been opened to me. Paul doesn't simply say a door has opened for me, an opportunity, but he says an effective work, a successful work is coming to pass as a result of that open door. You think of Lydia, it tells us that the Lord opened her heart to pay attention, and so she was baptized. When God opens a door, it, it is successful, and that's what Paul is laboring at here. We pray not just for opportunities, but we pray that the sovereign God would change people's hearts so that the message of the gospel would be received. So that people would believe in Jesus, but we recognize that the human heart needs to be changed by the work of the Spirit. Those who are living in ignorance of God's work need to hear the truth, but God must bless that proclamation if people are to believe. But as much as we may pray for others to come to know this truth, we have to ask, have we ourselves come to know uh, this glory ourselves? Have we ourselves come to believe it? Or are we pushing against it in our passivity? Have you come to recognize that Jesus is not only the savior of Israel, but as the Old Testament itself says, he is the Messiah in whom the nations would hope, that he is the one in whom God would cause the nations to gather and to seek the Lord's favor. Paul's prayer then, he prays that they would remember him in their prayers. He also prays that they would remember his work, that an open door would be given, that he might declare the truth as he ought to plainly and clearly. I need your prayers. I need your prayers to be able to preach the truth and not to shrink back in fear. I need your prayers to be able to speak clearly and to make clear what the hope of the gospel is. That it's not faith plus works. It's not being a good person. It's not being a decent neighbor. It's about understanding the glory of the Lord Jesus. It's understanding that his death and resurrection is the source of eternal life. It's recognizing that the promise of God is available to every one of you who believes. But you need to be praying for those who proclaim God's word, here and elsewhere, because God is a God who is at work. We pray for things that are according to God's purpose, and we believe that God is advancing his cause. And so in the wake of a world that talks oftentimes about God being dead, or uh, the future of Christianity is a thing of the past. We can understand with confidence that God continues to change people's lives. That God is a God who can open doors and cause people to know the truth. 
Do you pray for those who proclaim God's truth? That what would be proclaimed would not fall on deaf ears, but on those who are ready to hear. How do we live in this world? Paul is saying if we're going to live in this world, our life should be embedded with prayer. That we should recognize that we are dependent upon God, but that we should also be expecting God to give us the help that we need. We don't have to live in fear. We don't have to live in fury. We can live with faith. We can have courage because our God reigns and because our God is advancing his gospel in the hearts of many people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that as we think about your word, we pray that we would see how it confronts us about who we are and where our loyalties lie. Help us, Lord, to be able to examine our own hearts, uh, to think about where we find our, our sense of help. And we pray, Lord, that even when we think about prayer, may it not be something that is viewed simply as strange or something that is uh, a burden, but may it be the expression of our dependence and the expression of our confidence to know that our God hears us and that our God's uh, grace is being advanced. So go before us, we pray, and bless us for the sake of your Son, the Lord Jesus. Amen.